0: The world around us is changing faster than ever before from automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome welcome, to Data Guru's podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be be brave and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome Welcome, Welcome to
1: the Data Gurus podcast. Welcome to another episode of Data Gurus. This is Seema Vasi, your host. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that's very near and dear to many people because it impacts all of us, and that is the topic of the future of work. I want to welcome my guest, who is Kelly Monahan. She is the Lead Talent Research Principal Director at Accenture. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm really excited to dive into this topic. Thank you. Like I said before, I love your job. <laughs>
2: I do feel really lucky. I mean, to be thinking about something to your point in your opening that impacts everywhere is amazing, but also overwhelming at times.
1: It's a huge responsibility because people look to you for solutions and ideas of how they manage their businesses. Yes, absolutely. Every day. <laughs> and it's getting more and more complicated. <laughs> that we're in transition now from the pandemic. So let's just lay the foundation here. You guys have done a very... In depth look at the future of work. Just share with the listeners what are the foundations to that research? Yeah, I think it's a great question.
2: And, and I appreciate you asking that because the future of work, there's a lot of opinions that are going on out there. Everyone's got an opinion on it. Yeah. And as a researcher and at Accenture, we want to make sure that we lead with data. Now, of course, we're going to have some projections from that. But what we did is during the March of this past year is we went out and we looked at over 9,326 global workers. And what we did is we wanted to be really precise with this data set because we know it matters what we're going to say and project because, again, it's your lives. Do you want to come back to the office? Do you not? We want to make sure we understand what people actually need and feel today. And so we went across 10 different industries, 10 different countries to really represent a global workforce. And not just that, within our data set, 70% are your workers to represent an organization below manager, 30% are your leadership. So, again, we can do some comparisons to see what's happening. Surprisingly, very little differences. Most people, whether you're a leader or average worker out there, have pretty similar sentiments. And so, we wanted to then make sure we had a large enough data set to not just point out some frequency analysis, which of course we did, but we wanted to make sure we could do some correlations and ultimately some regression analysis to predict what was causing people to feel a certain way or causing them to want to come back on site. So it was a really big undertaking we did in a short period of time because we know this conversation is changing every day. And we wanted to make sure we at least had a point in time to say, hey, here's what the majority of people are feeling and thinking today.
1: That's fantastic. So let's dig into it. How are people feeling today about work? You know, that's a great question, and it, I was surprised a little
2: bit of some of the sentiments that came back, to be honest with you. So we looked at the data set. We wanted to understand from a spectrum. Some people today are really optimistic and energized, but that is certainly not the majority. The majority of people are somewhere in the middle and or really negative. So we found a third of people today are calling what we're calling disgruntled. As we asked them to think about the future of work, they were pessimistic. They're tired. They're burned out. They've experienced microaggressions and they're also fatigued. And so we found a third of workers said, you know what, when I think about the future of work, it's negative, it's bleak right now. And so that concerns me because that's a third of our people that feel that way. Then we also had this group, you know, I would say in the middle, let's just call it another, you know, close to 30%. That was, Somewhat going through the motions, I think of that quote from the movie, you know, living lives of quiet desperation. They're not negative. They're not positive. They're somewhere in the middle. And many of them are simply unsure. They're waiting to see how their leadership is going to make key decisions on this return to work before really making a true sentiment on how they as an individual feel. And then we do find this group, 42%, that we call are thriving. They're optimistic. They're energized. And of course, as a researcher, I'm always trying to understand What is the differences? What's going on underneath this to um, see this wide spectrum of how people are feeling?
1: And what differences are you seeing from a generational perspective? You know,
2: it was a bit surprising to me. From a generational perspective, we saw a really statistically significant difference when it comes to our young people, Gen Zers. Gen Z today is struggling the most when it comes to mental health, feeling some of this pessimism as they think about their own future than other generations. Uh, The second closest generation that they couple with is going to be Gen Xers. So Gen Xers are also struggling right now when it comes to, again, we look at mental health scores, this concept called life enhancement, whether or not work is adding to your life as opposed to taking away. We have this concept called net better off, whether or not your job is leaving you net better off amongst you as a human. Are you leaving with more dignity and more money in your pocket as a result? And Gen Zers, you know, are really unsure about that. And so are Gen Xers. And so you know, we can talk about and hypothesize of why we're seeing that. Our baby boomers are fairly optimistic, to be honest with you. So they've really adopted well to this new world of work. And our millennials are still fairly optimistic as well in their ability to continue to create change and adapt to this hybrid world.
1: Let's talk about that net better off score that, that you mentioned. Is the impact of work different by generation in terms of what generations seek, you know, of what role work plays in their lives?
2: Yes, I think that's a great question. And I think it's a bit philosophical too, depending on your generation and the events that happen during, you know, key moments in your life that really impact the way you view work. I'll just share personally as more of what I call late millennial, I'm on the edge between late millennial and uh, Gen X. You know, I grew up in Rochester, New York, and I saw during the 80s and 90s, all of the outsourcing that was being done. It was a primarily, you know, manufacturing town and so i came into work not expecting long term incentives there was going to be no pension you know i saw in the 90s over 46000 people got laid off you know a digital camera company that wasn't so digital so um, you know as part of that my perspective of work wasn't you know this is going to take care of me i think for the generation before me they got to see the baby boomers who did have pensions, who did have these long-term incentives. And so they expected that. They played by those rules of the game and thought, if I give my loyalty, I'll get that back. And I think many of them got burned through that. And so, and then we came in as millennials and decided to rewrite the rules of leadership and what we want and we need all this freedom and we need, you know, ping pong (laughs) table, beer kegs. And I think, you know, Gen X is shaking their head wondering what the heck happened here. I don't have the long-term incentive and I didn't get the beer (laughs) pong at work. And then for Gen Z, you know, I think they're really, they have a delayed start into the workplace. And so I think they're hungry for social connection. They've never really got to experience office life. And so as millennials, we are in this hybrid state of saying, okay, we've seen it. It's not all good. You know, there's advantage of staying at home at times or working remotely where we see in Gen Z, you know, their perspective is let me go somewhere. Let me leave. A lot of them are still living with their parents because of the financial situation. Let me leave. Let me grow up. Let me understand. And most importantly, what we saw in the data is they want to be mentored. And in order to do that, they want in-person interaction.
1: That makes perfect sense. I mean, also you think about these Gen Z Population. They've worked so hard to go to high school, college, even get graduate degrees. And then they're kind of like, why am I sitting behind a computer? Absolutely. Not feeling and experiencing quote unquote the physical world of work. Yes.
2: And I do think that word you just use is probably as we think about the different generations. Millennials in particular, and now Gen Z is looking for that experience. I think they view work as an experience and not just a transactional thing we do to then go and support life. They wanted to be very much embedded that life enhancement that I talked about. We see that in the younger generations of wanting work to contribute to their life, of being blended in with their life, and seeing it much more as one identity, as opposed to I have a personal identity and a professional identity; those two are separate. And again, you know, I think the notion that we grew up with in MBA programs was it's all business, not personal. Gen Z in particular is saying no, it's very personal, and I'm okay blending those two, and I want to actually show up very much as my personal self, and there's no difference between that and my professional.
1: Which makes perfect sense when you think about how active and vocal they are about the companies they choose to work for, because it's their own personal values and ethics that they want to see represented in the companies that they choose to work for. I couldn't agree with you more. And it's such a fascinating
2: time because, you know, we advise a lot of C-suite. And that is the one thing that's been a profound change for them, CEOs, of, I now need to comment on societal issues. Again, we just talked about personal and uh, business lives being separate. The same is true with the C-suite and companies. There is no such thing as just a, I'm a for-profit company. We don't interact with societal issues or values. The exact opposite. In our data set that we're talking about, one in two workers today actually use the words morality, ethics, and determining values of who they're going to choose to work for. And that the pandemic has made this very obvious to them, what companies are operating with a sense of morality and values and ethics and helping society as opposed to not. So it's, again, that's a really big, profound shift, especially for our C-suite leaders who weren't commenting before on some of these societal issues.
1: Well, I think the pandemic, you know, again, silver lining here is it lifted the cover in terms of what companies really believe in, because they had to deal with large workforces. They had to deal with the you know, political climate, the health of their workforce, and they couldn't hide. And it kind of equalized everybody in some way, shape, or form as it related to corporations.
2: Absolutely. And I think to your point, they couldn't hide because everything, we all went to some version of a digital platform or internet or some, we we're all interacting through this. And so it became visible and it was just as visible when they didn't comment on the LinkedIn platform or a Twitter platform. It was, well, oh, what does this company actually think about this or the CEO or leadership team? So to your point, absolutely, it's been a neutralizer and it's almost changed our human behavior and what we're expecting and seeing as we constantly interact with these companies now on these platforms.
1: And I'd also add, I think it also created that blend of personal and professional became one. Yeah, absolutely. Whether
2: people wanted to or not,
1: yeah. <laughs> it happened. <laughs> I've seen so many people's living rooms and kitchens. It's actually nice, but uh, it definitely, it made that separation less clear. Yes,
2: absolutely. Yeah, though it's fun time. I mean, to be a researcher in this space right now, there's never been more complexity <laughs> to understand how this is permanently shifting the way we treat each other and view each other in the workplace.
1: So let's talk about why hybrid is appealing to some people and why it's not appealing to others. You can say, what is hybrid? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, number one question, what is
2: hybrid? Because again, what what I like to remind people is because this has been so normalized that we're doing this, you know, even remotely as opposed to coming together in some sort of studio is, you know, 18 months ago, according to our data, 90% of people were still regularly reporting nine to five to some degree or whatever their work schedule was on site. You know there was definitely elements of some people working remotely, maybe one day a week or once a month, but for the most part, everything was normalized around an, an on-site experience. And so this has been a profound shift, and companies are still obviously playing catch up. So hybrid today that we define it here at Accenture Research is working remotely at least 25 percent of the time. And so that's kind of our baseline. If it's anything less than that, it's really just a one-off flexible situation. What we found, you know a lot of people say, well, what's the ideal? What we found in our data set, it was about 53% was what ideally people wanted to be from a remote perspective, 50-50. All the way upwards, we say, if it's anything you know beyond 75%, you're basically a full-time remote worker. So hybrid, 25 to 75% of the time, you're choosing to work outside of the office. And I think that becomes a big word that I just used too, then a big debate today is that, that sense of choice. How much are employees telling their employer, these are the dates I want to be back in the office? or on-site versus their employer saying, we're going to need people to come together Tuesday, Thursdays, whatever the case may be. So it's a really interesting time for HR professionals. I feel for them because they're right in the playbook. There is no playbook, no HR documentation they're pulling from. This is brand new. And one of the big questions that, Come from these hybrid models is how do we make sure they're fair and inclusive?
1: I'm sure hybrid appeals to certain populations versus others, right? Absolutely. So
2: you know, one of the populations we're seeing that it, it certainly appeals to, as I talked about, is these millennials seem to really have embraced as well as baby boomers. But not just that is women. So women in minorities we've seen really have embraced the ability and it tend to be on the upper echelon of their preferred hybridness of wanting to be 75% or higher. And the reason is we've seen in the data less microaggressions are being experienced at work, they feel more so than ever they can bring their authentic self to work. And as the dialogue we're just having with women, they no longer hide in the fact that they have children or they have other things going on, or they're taking care of you know whatever their house situation looks like. Women in particular in our data and what's been well documented in the literature play multiple roles. And so their ability to actually be able to bring that and not be penalized because of that, they feel the safest doing that at home and being able to balance that. So Lots of questions to arise of, you know, if we think about bringing people on site, if we fully give people the choice, which I'm seeing the data, we're going to end up with a very young Gen Z white male returning back to the office and our minorities and women are going to prefer to stay at home. And I don't know if that's really the future of work we want.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, there is this notion of building social capital with your colleagues and also leaders. And if there's only sub-segments that are doing that physically, then it could really create, to your point, a desired outcome that we might not want. Exactly. And I think that is
2: a really good, I mean, that's going to be something that we're keeping us up at night as researchers is how do we create cultures and experiences and visibility so that whether you are dialing in from a phone, a computer, or you're on site, how do we actually enable? So that's a seamless experience and there's just as much visibility. And there's some really exciting trends emerging in technology that's going to enable part of that for us. But our brain today, as part of our evolution, is still very much wired for in-person interaction. Having hormones released when we're smiling to each other, we actually see that in person. And we do, the bottom line has become much more fatigued, which has been well-documented now, 18 months in this pandemic, staring at each other through screens. It's just our brain does not respond the same way. So
1: true. So what do you think, I mean, what are companies thinking about as it relates to, and I'll just speak to moms coming back to work physically and the requirement there?
2: Yeah. So, you know, in my job, my fun job that I have, I do get the opportunity to speak with a lot of CHROs um, firsthand and and understand what's top of mind and how they're thinking about this. And some of them have remarked, you know, as they thought about total rewards and benefits packages, they've continued to be progressive and, and, you know, obviously move the needle on making more inclusive packages. This has accelerated it, especially for working moms and especially for caregivers of how do they sell for childcare. When we see our educational institutions start to go remote or fall apart at times because of the pandemic and not be as equipped to handle that, you know, the primary responsibility often falls because of societal narratives and gender norms on moms. And so, you know, CHROs in particular are really trying to figure out how do they incentivize working moms in particular, whether that's stipends for daycare, whether that's actually providing tutors and getting into the business of digital education and online education, getting really creative of having business solve for that as opposed to families or government, or educational institutions. So again, it's that merging of here's a societal problem. We're going to have a labor shortage and we're going to have women opting out of the workplace in higher numbers than we've ever seen before in our modern workforce, unless we as a business solve for that. And so again, potential silver lining, but the numbers aren't playing catch up yet. We're still seeing women opt out far more than men right now in the return to work narrative.
1: Are you seeing, like, you know, I always believe in this pendulum where last March we were all remote, right? And now talking about hybrid and models are changing. Do you see this pendulum coming back into the center where you're going to have some companies that really just go back to traditional models and just say, okay, we've lived through that, but I'm going back to a traditional model and companies who completely say we're going hybrid, we're going remote fully, are you seeing distinct differences in how people are planning their workforce models?
2: Great question. And 100%, we are seeing this divergence of strategies. And I think the thing that I would tell people listening to this podcast is people have to vote with their feet on what they want. They have to, depending on it, it's an individual difference. I can't tell you what's right or wrong, I can tell you from the data, the people who feel the best in terms of their net better off scores, mental health, et cetera, are those who work in a very balanced environment where they are given the choice to be hybrid. They have the environment when they come into the office or whatever their onsite is, it's calibrated around cutting edge technologies. And is really focused on in-person interaction and collaboration. It's not heads down, come back to the office and answer emails and do administrative work. It's do that at home. Do that in an environment that suits you, but come back for the interaction. Those are the people who are thriving the best. So I think companies that can enable that, enable this hybrid experience, I think are going to win my projection in the talent marketplace in the future. Companies that are over-rotating on extremes, I think are going to be in trouble of attracting you know high talent. If you say we're fully remote, we're going to embrace that. We're closing down our offices. That's giving some people... How are we going to see each other? You know, how are we going to collaborate? I want to travel. I actually do want to engage in some level of business in person. And those that are dictating the way things have to be, those are the scores we're seeing people are struggling the most. I mean, those are, when I talk about that disgruntled category, those are the disgruntled workers. They're being forced into the old paradigm and they see their colleagues moving on.
1: Kelly, thank you so much for joining me today. I absolutely love the work that you've done. And I look forward to having you back on the podcast. I feel like we could do like 10 more episodes. Oh, I would love to. This is great. Gets me out of my research bubble. So thank you so much for uh, having me today. Thank you. And if people want to learn more about
2: the research, where should they go? Yeah, so Accenture.com has all of our insights. You can, you know, look at our future of work, and I am constantly posting on LinkedIn uh, all of our Accenture research. So feel free to follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter at MonahanK. I will make sure
1: constantly updating and making it easy to find our stuff. Fantastic! Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you.
0: Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies. Whether it comes to sampling, programming and hosting services or consultation, we are agile and quick to meet your needs. Visit ParadigmSample.com today. Thank you for tuning in to Data Gurus Podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.